Scripture lesson four this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Listen now for God's word to you. This is Jesus speaking to us, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Those are Jesus' words to us here this morning. And those words come to us towards the beginning of what is probably Jesus' most famous and well-loved sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, we've called it that not because Jesus gave it that title. It's not like there was a, a bulletin and Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, and it said Jesus of Nazareth as the guest preacher that morning. But we've called it that because as Matthew tells the story, as Matthew depicts it, Jesus is standing on the mountainside teaching the crowds who are there. And it is the most famous, most well-loved, and most treasured sermon, I think, that Jesus ever gave. And I think a lot of reasons why is because Jesus is more clear here than he is perhaps anywhere else in the Gospels. And remember, we just came out of that sermon series on the parables, and I told you that, that parables are really elusive in trying to find the meaning, and it stresses some of you out. And so if you don't like parables, maybe you'll find a home in the Sermon on the Mount. That that sermon starts out with this list of upside-down blessings. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. That inverting of what we would normally associate with blessedness. Jesus says, what makes you blessed, who, who God sees, are often those that we may not even think about. It's this sermon of ethical demands. You've heard it said, Jesus says to us, that you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other as well. Resist not an evil person. This ethic of nonviolent love. One of the most difficult commands, I think, that Jesus has given to us. We're still kind of, I think, figuring out exactly how we're supposed to apply that kind of teaching because it, it cuts against our natural tendencies when somebody harms us. The greatest commandment, the golden rule that we are to do unto others as they have done to us, that, that commandment that's found in various forms throughout all of the world's religions. It's found here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon of pastoral care. Do not worry about your life, Jesus says, what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Look at the, the birds of the air and the ways that they are fed. Look at the lilies of the field and the ways that they are clothed. Are you of not more importance than they? How much more will God care for each and every one of you? All of that is found here in the Sermon on the Mount. And towards the beginning of that sermon, are those words, some of the most beautiful words I think that Jesus ever spoke to us, that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt, 
sodium chloride. As one commentator on this, writing on this passage said, that it is the only mineral that can be taken from the earth that can be used for human consumptions. It is one of the most ancient additives to food. In a time before refrigeration, it was a way of preserving meat, and uh, Jewish societies as a way of drawing the blood out of the meat as a way of keeping kosher. But it was also this highly valuable commodity. Some societies used salt as a form of currencies, and sometimes taxes were levied in the form of salt, which I think sounds like a great idea. We should go back to that again. Wars have been fought to, to secure access to salt. Taxes, I, taxes have been levied. Salt is how the city of Venice became the city that it's known for today. Salt is what helped Gandhi to secure independence in India. It has been this historically precious and sought-after mineral. We need salt to live. It's a necessary component of our lives, but, but even more than that, salt is what gives food its flavor. Ever had food that has either been prepared for you that you've prepared and you've forgotten to add the salt to it? It tastes sort of bland. Ever had movie theater popcorn without butter and salt on it? Doesn't taste quite right. According to the author Jeffrey Steingarten, who wrote the book, The Man Who Ate Everything, which is what I want the title of my memoir to be. Uh, <laughs> we're probably the first generation of human beings to be paranoid about salt. And some of us, we have a, right, a reason to be paranoid. We have high blood pressure or various health concerns. But in general, most of us can consume as much salt as we want. The average American eats 12,000 milligrams of salt a day or 266 shakes from the salt shaker, which sounds kind of gross when you think about it in that kind of quantity, but it's spread out over the course of the entire day, right? And again, why not? Salt is indispensable to good food. When used thoughtfully, it makes food taste and smell better. It, it helps to ripen cheese. It strengthens the gluten in bread. It's it helps preserve meat. The, the late Episcopal priest and chef, which is another career goal for me now, um, not the Episcopal priest part, the chef part, um, Robert Ferrer Coppon says that salt is the music of cooking. Sure, sometimes food can be over-seasoned and over-salted. You don't want to just take a big spoonful of salt, right? But it's what makes food taste good. It's what makes food taste right. It's part of the, the joy of eating. This, Jesus says, is who we are. And notice he says that you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say that you are to become salt, but that is who and what you are. It's not something you become by all of your religious striving or how many Bible verses you can quote or how often you attend church or how much you put in the offering plate when it comes by. But you are salt. It is what you are. You are the joy. You are the additive to life. Salt is never not salt. Jesus says, what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? It's only good to be thrown underfoot. But, but can salt ever not be salt? Several commentators have said perhaps Jesus is using a little bit of humor here. But it is what we are. It's okay to be salty, as someone in the first service said. It's okay to be salty. All of us, with all of our uniqueness, all of our strengths, our growing edges, our truest selves, we are the salt of the earth. But more than that, Jesus says, you are also the light of the world, a city sitting on a hill that cannot be hid. 
a light in a lampstand that no one puts a bushel basket over, but a light that shines out to everybody in the entire house. I was thinking back this week to one of my favorite vacations that Heather and I took when we were uh, living in Princeton, New Jersey, when I was a seminary student there. Uh, Heather had found this little Airbnb treehouse that could be rented out most of the weekends of the year up in the, the northern part of Vermont. And it was quaintly named the Tiny Fern Forest. And it was right on the, right on the property of this couple who, uh, who had the main house there, then the treehouse was also there. And this is uh, what it looked like. Uh, Super cute, right? And maybe you're wondering, really, this was your favorite vacation because I've told you all how much I don't like camping or outdoor kinds of activities. And this looks pretty close to the line of camping, doesn't it? Um, but this was an Airbnb that you know, we got to go into the house, the main house, and they would serve us a, a breakfast of eggs and bacon and all that stuff. There was Wi-Fi there. The cabin was, was heated. Uh, we had access to a hot tub we could use. So if this is camping... Sign me up. That's as close as I ever want to get to camping. And so this little treehouse was this popular destination. Uh, We actually had to book our stay a year in advance. And um, we found out from the couple who owns it that they built this treehouse in order to meet all sorts of interesting people from around uh, the world. And people from all over the world did come to this little treehouse. And in order to, to book a stay there, you had to fill out an application and see if the couple would approve it. And And we found out when we got there, the reason why ours was approved is because Heather's a nurse and I'm a seminary, or was a seminary student. And I'm glad they found that, I'm honored they found that very, that they found that interesting, because I certainly don't consider that to be that interesting. So we went up there in late September. Uh, The treehouse sat up on a hill, uh, right away from the main house the couple lived in. It was nestled into the green mountains of Vermont. Uh, just as the trees were starting to change into those beautiful fall colors, the, those things that New England is famous for. And so after settling in, we took recommendations for where we should go for dinner, because of course we did. Um, we wanted to know where we could eat, and the couple gave us a, good, a couple of good places to go back in town. This treehouse was a, a few miles away from the tiny little town of Lincoln, Vermont, about a 10-15 minute drive or so, and Um, We had Wi-Fi at the house, but we had no cell service there. And I'm one of those people that relies heavily upon my GPS and my cell phone to get to where I need to go. And so I had to rely upon the directions that this, up until that moment, stranger was giving me to get back and to go where we wanted to go for dinner. And and on the way there, no problems. There was still a little bit of daylight, which made it easier. And uh, we got down to, uh, back into town. We had an amazing dinner. We walked around the cute little picturesque town of Lincoln for a little while, and then we decided it was time to head on back. And I did have cell service downtown, in town, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to plug the address into my cell phone. I know I'm going to eventually lose service, um, but if you lose your way when you've done it that way, if you lose your way, the GPS can't reroute you, and that is exactly what happened. Um, (laughs) Somewhere along the way, I missed my turn, and I was driving off into the darkness of the Green Mountains. And Heather and I are are city folks. We're not rural people, and this was very, very rural. Eventually, at one point, the the pavement ended, and it was a gravel road, and it was like only a lane and a half wide. And I'm just kind of hurtling off into the darkness, not sure where I am, no landmarks around me. And, And so I decide my best bet is to navigate back towards town to reconnect with my GPS and to try and and figure my way back. So as we're driving back in the darkness, that's when I see it. 
The treehouse sitting up on a hill, its lights shining out, letting me know where I was and where to go. And in that moment, I couldn't help but think about those words of Jesus. Because I'm a seminary student, of course, that's what I thought about in that moment. Um, (laughs) You are a city on a hill that cannot be hid. And this is who Jesus says that we are. We are the light of the world, a light shining out into a sometimes dark world. And just as with salt, it is not something that we become, but it is something that we are in our intrinsic being. We are never not light. There is divine love and goodness that exists within each and every one of you. And and yes, sometimes the wounds and the pains of the past try to dim and extinguish that light. Sometimes wounds that have been inflicted from religion done in Jesus' name tries to snuff out that light that lives within each and every one of us. But Jesus says, nobody can take that light from you. The light of love and divine favor exists within each and every one of us, and no one can take it from you. It is yours. So shine it out. Sometimes the light that lives within each and every one of us is the only light that somebody else who might be experiencing the darkness can see. Salt and light. These might be some of the most beautiful words that Jesus ever spoke to us because they remind us not of what we are becoming, but of what we are. Salty luminescence. That is who and what we are. All of us in our own individual lives and all of us together as Greenfield Presbyterian Church, we are salt and light. We are our light that is shining out into a sometimes dark world. We are salt, the, the flavor and the spice of life that is added to our community. Salt and light, these are things that don't exist only for themselves, but they exist beyond themselves. I'm reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis that said that, The church is perhaps the only organization in the world that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. Salt and light, we exist not just for ourselves. What good would salt be if you made food and said, well, the salt's sitting on the counter, but it wasn't added to the food. What good is light if it's not shining out beyond itself? We are salt and light. We are people that are, we are a community that exists for one another. We are shining into a world beyond ourselves. The pastor David Lowe says that we could easily create a salt and light log of all of the ways that we as a congregation are salt and light. And I think that we all could come up with a a really long list of those ways that we as Greenfield are salt and light. That this is a community that exists to care for those who are hungry or hurting in this world. It is part of our DNA to reach beyond ourselves. I remember back when I was first called as your pastor, and one of the first things I was given was that operations manual that all of you worked so hard to compile. After years and years and realizing that a lot of the information was held within people's heads, you all finally wrote it down, which sounds really kind of spiritual, actually, um, now that I think about it. And I remember flipping through that, that operations manual, and I remember being struck by just how long the section was from the mission committee just how much stuff we do here in this church to care for those who are hungry or in need. And, and later on today, right before we get to enjoy some tacos from the, the food truck, we're going to commission our little free pantry and our little free library, these new ways of serving our community. 
And I've mentioned this example before, but it's because it was so meaningful to me. The way that we gathered together last November to uh, write letters to our legislators to end that practice of cash bail here in the state of Michigan, a practice that, that disproportionately affects those who are in poverty and communities of color, salt, and light. We are, I think, a community that seeks to be sort of like an extended family. I think we could easily adopt the motto from Olive Garden, right? When we are here, your family. We seek to care for each other. And sometimes, yes, we fight like family, but also we make up like family. We seek to care for each other in those ways and salt and light. We've also been a community for a long time that has stood at the forefront of inclusivity and welcome, saying that everybody is welcome here, no matter who they are, where they come from, who they love. We don't put an asterisk on that statement, all are welcome. We don't put a terms and conditions on any of that. Salt and light. It is who we are. And I know that you all could come up with way more examples to be added to that salt and light log. These are just a few of the innumerable ways that we as Greenfield are salt and light. But the question that that I have been pondering lately is, do others know the good things that are happening here? For the person passing by on on Greenfield Road, do they know that there is a place of love and belonging here at this little church on the corner of Oxford and Greenfields? Do they know that there's a a group of people here who who want to make a difference in the world, who want to invite others in, who want to make that same sort of difference? Do they know that there's an an open invitation for them? And I think that that is a, a critical question in this day and age. Because long gone are those days when people just came to church because it was a a cultural expectation. Long gone are the days when when people would move to a new area, they would say, where's the Presbyterian church or where's the Lutheran church in the area? We need to give people a reason to be here. And I think for others, sometimes the wounds and the experiences with a, a very sort of toxic kind of Christianity can make it difficult to cross the threshold of a church, even one that seeks to embody and exemplify love and welcome. So others need to see the salt and the light that exists here at Greenfield Presbyterian Church. They need to to see it, whether they're on Google or scrolling through social media. There, There are so many, I think, untapped opportunities for us to shine out the light that exists within this community. We've started to do some of those already. We have a fantastic and amazing website. If you haven't looked at it yet, go and and check it out. Our live stream services, which I know we're not live streaming today because of technical difficulties, but kind of started out as a pandemic necessity, but it's continued to be this opportunity to shine salt and light into the world. And the internet is here to stay, everybody. I'm sorry if you're not tech savvy, but the internet is here to stay. And it provides an opportunity for us to spread salt and to shine light into the world. I think one of the reasons why we we hung the pride flag on our south entrance is because we wanted other people to know that this was a place of love and inclusion and welcome. We wanted them to know that. And the feedback that I've gotten about hanging that, that flag out there from the community is this gratitude the ways that we visibly demonstrated love. We didn't do it for ourselves, but we did it so that others might know that there is love and welcome and a place of belonging here. 
There is good news here. And so who are we called to be? That's the question that I've posed to you all in this sermon series. Who are we called to be? That we are called to be a congregation, I think, that shines brightly in the world. And maybe it sounds a little bit crass, but I think that there are ways for us to to, uh, work through how we can productively promote and market ourselves. Maybe that sounds a little bit weird, but let's just give it a spiritual name, evangelism. (laughs) And I know for you Presbyterians, evangelism might make you squirm in your seat a little bit, that image of knocking on people's doors and saying, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But let's reclaim it. Evangelism is just announcing good news. It is announcing that there is a God who loves us. It is announcing that there is a place of belonging. It is announcing that that we can make a difference in the world. There is good news here. All evangelism is, is spreading salt and shining light. And others need to see it. I think that this is an incredibly special community with so much to offer. But others need to see it. Others need to know it. We need to explore those avenues of how we can effectively demonstrate it and, and, and show that to others. Who are we called to be? I think that we are called to be salty luminescence. It is okay to be salty. Even more than that, it is a good thing to shine light out into the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.